Chapter Twenty Two of the Deluge, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botez. The Deluge, Volume Two, by Henrik Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin, eighteen thirty-five to nineteen o six, chapter twenty-two, the province of Lubelsk and the greater part of Podlyasye were almost completely in the hands of Poles, that is, of the Confederates and Sapieha's men, since the King of Sweden remained in Prussia, where he was treating with the Elector the swedes not feeling very powerful in presence of the general uprising which increased every day dared not come out of the towns and castles and still less to cross to the eastern side of the vistula where the polish forces were greatest in those two provinces therefore the poles were laboring to form a considerable and well-ordered army able to meet the regular soldiers of sweden in the provincial towns they were training infantry and since the peasants in general had risen there was no lack of volunteers it was only necessary to organize in bodies and regular commands those chaotic masses of men frequently dangerous to their own country the district captains betook themselves to this labor besides the king had issued a number of commissions to old and tried soldiers troops were enrolled in all provinces and since there was no lack of military people in those regions squadrons of perfect cavalry were formed some went west of the vistula others to charnetsky still others to sapieha such multitudes had taken arms that jan casimir's forces were already more numerous than those of the swedes a country over whose weakness all europe had recently wandered gave now an example of power unsuspected not only by its enemies but by its own king and even by those whose faithful hearts a few months before had been rent by pain and despair money was found as well as enthusiasm and bravery the most despairing souls were convinced that there is no position no fall no weakness from which there may not be a deliverance and that when children are born consolation cannot die Kmita went on without hindrance, gathering on his road unquiet spirits, who joined the chamble with readiness, hoping to find most blood and plunder in company with the Tartars. These he changed easily into good and prompt soldiers, for he had the gift to make his subordinates fear and obey. He was greeted joyously on the road, and that by reason of the Tartars for the sight of them convinced men that the khan was indeed coming with succor to the commonwealth 
It was claimed openly that 40,000 chosen Tartar cavalry were marching to strengthen Sapieha. Wonders were told of the modesty of these allies, how they committed no violence or murder on the road. They were shown as an example to the soldiers of the country. Pan Sapieha was quartered temporarily at Biala. His forces were composed of about 10,000 regular troops, cavalry, and infantry. They were the remnants of the Lithuanian armies increased by new men. The cavalry, especially some of the squadrons, surpassed in valor and training the Swedish horsemen. But the infantry were badly trained and lacked firearms, powder, and cannon. Sapieha had thought to find these in Tikotsin, but the Swedes, by blowing themselves up with a powder, destroyed at the same time all the cannons of the castle. Besides these forces, there were in the neighborhood of Biala 12,000 general militia from all Lithuania, Mazovia, and Podliasie, but from few of these did the voevoda promise himself service especially since having an immense number of wagons they hindered movement and turned the army into a clumsy unwieldy multitude kmita thought of one thing in entering biala there were under sapieha so many nobles from lithuania and so many of radzivil's officers his former acquaintances that he feared they would recognize him and cut him to pieces before he could cry jesus mary his name was detested in sapieha's camp and in all lithuania for men still preserved in vivid remembrance the fact that while serving prince janusz he had cut down those squadrons which opposing the hetman had declared for the country. Pan Andrei had changed much, and this gave him comfort. First, he had become thin. Second, he had the scar on his face from Boguslav's bullet. Finally, he wore a beard, rather long, pointed in Swedish fashion, and his moustache he combed upward so that he was more like some Ericsson than a Polish noble. If there is not a tumult against me at once, men will judge me differently after the first battle, thought Kmita, when entering Biala. He arrived in the evening, announced who he was, whence he had come, that he was bearing letters from the king, and asked a special audience of the voevoda the voevoda received him graciously because of the warm recommendation of the king who wrote we send you our most faithful servant who is called the hector of chenstohova from the time of the siege of that glorious place and he has saved our freedom and life at the risk of his own during our passage through the mountains have him in special care so that no injustice come to him from the soldiers we know his real name 
and the reasons for which he serves under an assumed one. No man is to hold him in suspicion because of this change, or suspect him of intrigues. But is it not possible to know why you bear an assumed name? asked Voyevoda. I am under sentence and cannot make levies in my own name. The king gave me a commission and I can make levies as Babinich. Why do you want levies if you have the Tartars? For a greater force would not be in the way. And why are you under sentence? Under the command and protection of whomsoever I go, him I ought to tell all as to a father. My real name is Kmeta. The voevoda pushed back a couple of steps. He who promised Boguslav to carry off our king, living or dead? Kmeta related with all his energy how and what had happened. How befogged by Prince Janosch he had served the Radzivils. How he had learned their real purposes from the mouth of Boguslav and then carried off the latter and thus incurred his implacable vengeance. The voevoda believed, for he could not refuse belief, especially since the king's letter confirmed the truth of Kmita's words. Besides, his soul was so delighted in the voevoda that he would at that moment have pressed his worst enemy to his heart and forgiven his greatest offense. This delight was caused by the following passage in the king's letter. Though the Grand Baton of Lithuania, unused now after the death of the Voevoda of Vilna, can by usual procedure be given to a successor only at the Diet, still, in the present extraordinary circumstances, disregarding the usual course, we give this baton to you, greatly cherished by us, for the good of the commonwealth and your memorable services, thinking justly that God, giving peace, no voice at the coming diet will be raised against this our choice, and that our act will find general approval. Pan Sapieha, as was said then in the commonwealth, had pawned his coat and sold his last silver spoon. He had not served his country for profit, nor for honors. But even the most disinterested man is glad to see that his services are appreciated, that they are rewarded with gratitude, that his virtue is recognized. Therefore, Sapieha's serious face was uncommonly radiant. This act of the king adorned the house of Sapieha with new splendor, and to this no kinglet of that time was indifferent. It were well had there been none to strive for elevation per nefas through injustice. Therefore Pan Sapieha was ready to do for the king what was in his power and what was out of his power. Since I am the hetman, said he to Kmeta, you come under my jurisdiction and are under my guardianship. There is a multitude here of the general militia, hence tumult is near. Therefore do not show yourself overmuch till I warn the soldiers, 
and remove that calumny which Boguslav cast on you. Kmita thanked him from his heart, and then spoke of Anusha, whom he had brought to Biala. In answer, the hetman fell to scolding, but being in excellent humor, he scolded joyously. You made a fool of Sobiepan, as God is dear to me. He sits there with his sister, inside the walls of Zamost, as with the Lord God behind the stove, and thinks that everyone can do as he does. Raise the skirts of his coat, turn to the fire, and warm his back. I know the Podbipientas, for they are related to the Biostovskis, and the Biostovskis to me. The fortune is a lordly one, that is not to be denied. But though war with the northerners has weakened it for a time, still people are alive yet in those regions. Where can anything be found? Where? Any courts? Any officers? Who will take the property and put the young lady in possession? They have gone stark mad. Boguslav is sitting on my shoulders. I have my duties in the army, but they would have me fill my head with women. She is not a woman, but a cherry, said Kmita. She is nothing, however, to me. They asked me to bring her here. I have brought her. They asked me to give her to you. I give her. The hetman then took Kmita by the ear and said, But who knows, protector, in what form you have brought her? God preserve us. People may say that from the guardianship of Sapieha she has suffered. And I, old man, shall have to keep my eyes open. What did you do at the stopping places? Tell me right away, pagan. Did you not learn from your Tartars some heathen customs? At stopping places? answered Kmita, jestingly. I commanded my attendants to plow my skin with discipline, so as to drive out the less worthy motives, which have their seat under the skin, and which, I confess, were plaguing me worse than horseflies. Ah, you see, is she a worthy maiden? Really so, and terribly pretty. And the Turk was at hand? But she is as honest as a nun, that I must say for her. And as to suffering, I think that would come sooner from the Zamoyski guardianship than from you. Here Kmita told what had taken place and how. Then the hetman fell to clapping him on the shoulder and laughing. Well, you are a crafty fellow. Not in vain do they tell so much of Kmita. Have no fear. Pan Zamoyski is not a stubborn man, and he is my friend. His first anger will pass, and he will even laugh at it himself and reward you. I need no reward, interrupted Kmita. It is well that you have ambition and are not looking for favor. Only serve me against Boguslav, and you will not need to think of past outlawry. Sapieha was astonished when he looked at the soldier's face, 
which a moment before was so open and joyous. Kmita, at the mention of Boguslav, grew pale in an instant, and his face took on wrinkles like the face of a dog when preparing to bite. Would that the traitor were poisoned with his own spittle, if he could only fall into my hands before his death, said he gloomily. I do not wonder at your venom. Have a care, though, that your anger does not choke your adroitness, for you have to deal with no common man. It is well that the king sent you hither. You will attack Boguslav for me, as once you did Hovansky. I will attack him better, said Kmita with the same gloom. With this the conversation ended. Kmita went away to sleep in his quarters, for he was wearied from the road. Meanwhile the news spread through the army that the king had sent the baton to their beloved chief. Joy burst out like flames among thousands of men. The officers of various squadrons hurried to the quarters of the hetman. The sleeping town sprang up from its slumber. Bonfires were kindled. Standard bearers came with their standards. Trumpets sounded and kettle drums thundered. Discharges from muskets and cannon roared. Pan Sapieha ordered a lordly feast, and they applauded the whole night through. Drinking to the health of the king, the hetman, and to the coming victory over Boguslav. Pan Andrei, as was agreed, was not present at the feast. The hetman at the table began a conversation about Boguslav, and not telling who that officer was, who had come with the Tartars and brought the baton, he spoke in general of the perversity of Boguslav. Both Radzivils, said he, were fond of intrigues, but Prince Boguslav goes beyond his dead cousin. You remember, gentlemen, Kmita, or at least you have heard of him. Now imagine yourselves what Boguslav reported, that Kmita offered to raise his hand on the king our lord was not true. Still, Kmita helped Janosch to cut down good cavaliers. It is true that he helped Janosch, but at last he saw what he was doing, and then not only did he leave the service, but, as you know, being a man of daring, he attacked Boguslav. It was close work there for the young prince, and he barely escaped with his life from Kmita's hands. Kmita was a great soldier, answered many voices. The prince, through revenge, invented against him a calumny, at which the soul shudders. The devil could not have invented a keener. Do you know what I have in my hands, proof, in black and white, that that was revenge for the changing Kmita? To put an infamy in such a way on anyone's name, only Boguslav could do that, to sink such a soldier. I have heard this, continued the hetman. 
Kmita, seeing that nothing remained for him to do in this region, hurried off to Częstochowa, rendered their famous services, and then defended the king with his own breast. Hearing this, the same soldiers who would have cut Kmita to pieces with their sabers began to speak of him more and more kindly. Kmita will not forgive the calumny. He is not such a man. He will fall on Boguslav. Boguslav has insulted all soldiers by casting such infamy on one of them. Kmita was cruel and violent, but he was not a parricide. He will have vengeance. We will be the first to take vengeance for him. If you, serene great mighty hetman, guarantee this with your office, it must have been so. It was so, said the hetman. And you know, gentlemen, how this Kmita comes to my mind? Babinich, the king's courier, resembles him much. At the first moment I was mistaken myself. Here Sapieha began to look around with more severity and to speak with greater seriousness. Though Kmita were to come here himself, since he has changed, since he has defended a holy place with immense bravery, I should defend him with my office of hetman. I ask you, therefore, gentlemen, to raise no disturbance here, by reason of this newly arrived. I ask you to remember that he has come here by appointment of the king and the khan. But especially do I recommend this to you, who are captains in the general militia, for with you it is harder to preserve discipline. Whenever Sapieha spoke thus, Zagloba alone dared to murmur. All others would sit in obedience, and so they sat now. But when the hetman's face grew gladsome again, all rejoiced. The goblets moving swiftly filled the measure of rejoicing, and the whole town was thundering till morning, so that the walls of houses were shaken on their foundation, and the smoke of salutes veiled them as in time of battle. Next morning, Sapieha sent Anusha to Grodno with Pan Kochitz. In Grodno, from which Hovansky had long since withdrawn, the Voevoda's family was living. Poor Anusha, whose head the handsome Babinich had turned somewhat, took farewell on him very tenderly. But he was on his guard, and only at the very parting did he say to her, were it not for one devil, which sits in my heart like a thorn, I should surely have fallen in love with you to kill. Anusha thought to herself that there is no splinter, which may not be picked out with patience and a needle. But she feared somewhat this babinage. Therefore she said nothing, sighed quietly, and departed. End of chapter 22